Jeremiah from Chicago. This is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics. Featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Republican Stephanie Hitt, Democrat Dave Lundy, Republican Chris Roebling, and Democrat Rebecca Sive. Our program tonight coming to you my own base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications from Frigid, Chicago, where our phone lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to email me, email me a comment, it's Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at Dumo, at D-U-M-O. And, of course, if you want to join us on the World Wide Web, it's beyondthebeltway.com. That's where you can find past shows. And also you can watch us and listen to us live on Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont Facebook page. And by the way, let me make an appeal at the beginning of the program this evening. If, you, if you've not yet gone to Beyond the Beltway uh, with Bruce Dumont and, and, and asked to be a friend, I ask you to do it tonight because a little bit later on in the show, there's going to be additional content that we will be adding to that site throughout the week in addition to the Sunday night show. And again, we want you to be in touch. So if you're a regular listener every Sunday night, the only thing I'm asking for you tonight is uh, please go to beyondthebeltway.com, the Facebook page. I, I will befriend you all. <laughs> I know that'll make your night. I'll befriend you all who's ever within the sound of my voice this evening. Um, another two hours, another just uh, where do we even begin? I think we have to begin with the shutdown, which uh, we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks on this program. And uh, Dave Lundy, I want to talk to you because you're one of our card-carrying Democrats. You don't have a smirk on your face, but I can see there's an <laughs> inward glow. Because the general consensus is that uh, the president blinked. Do you agree with that, or is it more, does it have longer ramifications than just you know, a one-day story? Uh, the president didn't blink. The president capitulated. He caved. You could pull off the, thes- the thesaurus and find uh, any, any word you'd like. Um, the deal the president got was the same deal he could have had on day one. It was the deal that Ann Coulter freaked out about, um, and it's just a shame that he subjected the nation um, and to the 800,000 federal workers to so much completely unnecessary pain. Chris Roebling is one of our card-carrying Republicans. Uh, your response, and uh, do you accept those adjectives for uh, how the president's been described? Well, no. I mean, I think that the president has said that there is a national security issue. He says that there's a national security issue, and he has promised that he's going to act on that issue. I think that Democrats are, are you know, feeling their oats from running the House. And uh, the president got into this without a clear win that was identifiable. And so he's now, he has proven himself over the last 35 days, notwithstanding David's, I would say, partisan characterizations, to be extraordinarily rational. Uh, He's been attempting to find a middle. He's been making suggestions to the House Democrats. And I think the real question now is, are the House Democrats going to be as good as their rhetoric about supporting national security? Rebecca Seib also joins us. She is a Democrat. She's author of a new book called Vote Her In, and we'll talk about that. But at the moment, uh, Nancy Pelosi is certainly being hailed as the belle of the ball. Uh, Is that going to last a long time? More than the belle of the ball, the person who righted the ship and got people back to work and 
businesses open again. I think that I would disagree with Chris. I think that uh, the president said he was proud to own the shutdown of the government. It caused needless havoc and all kinds of problems. And Nancy Pelosi stood firm and said, we're happy to negotiate with you, but only when the government is open. And I think once LaGuardia shut down Friday morning, he realized Time's up. I, you know, all my pals who are flying in on their private planes want to be able to land on the ground. And guess what? An hour later, he gave his speech in the Rose Garden. Stephanie Hitt is our card-carrying Republican this evening. Uh, question to you. Uh, how badly, if badly at all, is, was the president affected by his conduct actually for the last three weeks? I actually think that um, he did, as Chris mentioned earlier, he showed that he was rationally reasonable. He brought forward different variations of deals he was willing to make, including uh, promising things for the Dreamers. And uh, what we saw instead was an intransigent, built, dug in uh, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, who only had one thing to say, and that is, I am not giving in to any wall ever, ever. Well, she was, and she, she was... looked like a child. And to be honest, what we're seeing is that the president, who took, maybe it took him a while to realize, but he represents the entire country. He doesn't, unfortunately, have the luxury to dig his feet in and throw a little temper tantrum and say, no wall, no wall, just like we saw from Nancy Pelosi. She was and doing... we're going to see that for the next three weeks. And I think he set her up to look like the fool. I think that Nancy Pelosi gave her very best Groucho Marx imitation. Whatever it is, I'm against it. Whatever it is, I'm against it. Uh, Rebecca was wrong in her characterization of Nancy Pelosi. She did not say, I'm ready to negotiate. She said, I'm never going to give you what you want. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Rebecca. She said, I'm I'm sorry, you're wrong. I'm sorry, you're just wrong, and you're misstating the record, and that's what Democrats have to do. Dave Lundy, back to you. Uh, At the end of this process, if you're an American voter, is there any clear uh, vision that the Democrats have communicated to them about what they mean by national security. Sure, because they haven't used the word national security. They've used the words border security. They said they're willing to Is put... Is it clear? Uh, well, it, it's, it's clearer than the, uh, the, the slat-walled uh, concrete fence with the pretty doored, all that nonsense rhetoric that Donald Trump has spewed out. What about a week and ago it, Saturday when he was very specific about what he wanted? I mean, did the Democrats but he have keeps a, is moving the, the goalposts? Well, okay. Let, let's acknowledge, for the sake uh, for you and Democrats, let's say all that's true. Yes. I asked last week on this program our two Democrats. We waited two hours for an answer, and I asked the simple question: What is the Democratic response if you don't like what Donald Trump is proposing? The- what is it that the Democrats... There's a very want? clear answer here. They're the Democrats are proposing... Well, I don't know who was... Dave and I both have it. Rest Good, yeah. Let get the Associated yeah. Press. Let's find out. Let's get the media. We, we could probably alternate words and finish each other's sentences no. because we all Just, know what it is. $5.6 billion for border security, including things like additional agents down at the border, technology solutions. There are literally... Democrats have spelled all Within of this out. the 5.7? Yes, yes, that's correct. Okay, because the president said 5.7 for, for construction in borders and, and barriers. The and then in addition to that, he had $805,000 for some of the $855 million for other, some of these other things. Bruce, there's a larger problem you know, 5, here. 000, right. There's a larger problem. I think both the president and some members of his party, as well as the Democrats, were initially very clear on what money 
could be spent and on what. But the larger problem is that in any event, the kind of wall the president initially proposed and said that he uh, was willing to shut down the government for was not going to be any form of protection that really mattered. And I think that, furthermore, it was going to cost a lot more than what he was saying. Does and he furthermore, Does he get credit for acknowledging and evolving on the subject? You give him any credit for that. I think a good policymaker does his homework or her homework and says, here's what I want to do. Here's how much it's going to cost. I'm committing to this. He threw out an idea that one of his consultants we, gave him. Would we acknowledge that, that candidates frequently say things to get votes and they really cannot be backed up? Like when Barack Obama said, you can keep your doctor. That, that sounded great. Right. In reality... His folks said it couldn't be done. Back shortly from Chicago with your calls. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference? Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. And uh, the question for you, Stephanie Hitt, I'm going to ask you now that you've shared some personal stuff with us. Um, (laughs) Wait, that wasn't political? Talking about the rats? Rats. (laughs) Here's my question. My question to you is, okay, we've got... We've got a couple of three weeks now where the president and the Democrats allegedly are going to try to get this done. Right. Does the president, in your mind, if, if he does not get the Democrats to agree to something that he agrees to, yeah. is his next step that he's got to declare, the national, declare a national emergency? Well, it depends. I Personally, I don't think it's a good idea or a good precedent to go ahead and uh, you know declare an emergency, use military funds for something like this, something that... At the end of the day, I think we all want this to be agreed upon and done through the legislature. Um, that's the right way to do it. Um, so I, do, I don't want him to go to that point personally, um, and I don't think a lot of people do. However, he does have a great position right now because he's got three weeks to show who's being reasonable here. And I think he has shown over and over his willingness to uh, – negotiate in terms of dollars, negotiate in terms of what we're talking about in terms of construction of a virtual wall, a physical wall. I also think that he has a a great opportunity to bring in other issues involving immigration. He very clearly offered the Dreamers Act. And and to per- make that permanent, he made that he very clear. He said last no, week three years, amnesty. Three years, temporary. Yeah. But no, but he, but he said last week that amnesty was something that he would consider yeah. for a bigger, broader Exactly. Uh, you know, answer to the question. Right. Well, now he that, has. I think that's where he can start. Right that's now. where he can start, Bruce, and I, I think he's offering a lot of reasonable parts. I think if we're going to see the Nancy Pelosi that we saw the last couple of weeks, and that is where she literally stands up there and says, 
I will not allow him to build a wall. What she is showing is that she's she does not care about what the issue is. She cares only about one thing, and that is not letting him put on his check to do list anything to do with, with increasing building the, building the wall. That's all she cares about. Rebecca. Well, on the facts, I think you're incorrect. Um, the way the process started was an initial meeting at the White House uh, with Senator Schumer and Speaker Pelosi and the president, mm -hmm. in which the president got frustrated, and it was he who said, I'm happy to shut down the government until you do what I want to do. So that's point one. Point two is Pelosi said consistently, as did Schumer, we will negotiate with you when the government is open. That was the consistent refrain for three weeks. Three, as we said before, they gave policy solutions if and when the government was open. I think the larger picture here, to go back to what Bruce said earlier, is the American people are scared, and unnecessarily so, because there was no need to shut down the government. If the president were a person of goodwill, he would have sat down and kept sitting down instead of having a temper tantrum and saying, I'm going to shut it down and I'm going to take care of it. Yeah, and the other thing is that, uh, Stephanie, with respect, you're just wrong. The president has not offered um, uh, the Dreamers permanent status. The, the president offered the Dreamers three years. Right. And that was not that was not a reasonable position. And, and what's interesting about this is that, remember, Democrats were ready to agree a year ago to, I think it was $25 billion or $40 billion for the wall in exchange for permanency for the for the Dreamers. And the president walked away for the same reason he walked away then, then from the deal this time. Then, then why did not, then why, then let me ask you this, uh, Dave, then why did not the speaker and the Democrats say this plan is dead on arrival. We reject it. We will only consider this. Consider it, not vote it. We will consider this if the president makes it permanent. Well, because he... Why, that, why, well, yeah. I mean, in the court of public opinion, in my opinion, that would have given the Democrats at least some cover that, you know, they like portions of this, and they do like portions of this. Some of this would probably pass without, any, without opposition. But the point is, it's different. Is it permanent or is it, is it temporary, three years? I and again, I would argue, you know, I, I would argue if the wall is permanent, the DACA decision the, should the be The essential permanent. problem, and I think this is right, is that had they negotiated over the Dreamers Act or anything else, while the government was closed, there was nothing that would preclude the president doing over and over again what he did in December, which is to say, I didn't get what I want. I'm shutting the government down. That's no way to run a country that's supposed to be a great country. That's exactly and that's what why that is, Pelosi and Schumer that, said no. That's exactly what Pelosi has just done. Look, the, the situation here is inverted, in my opinion, because Democrats, A, don't want to have a resolution to the immigration issue. When we saw that when they controlled all three brand, or, uh, the, the legislature and the White House under Obama for two years. And number two, when they rejected, uh, you know, Trump increasing the number of people who would have been given status, you know, 18 months ago or whatever it was. Number three, we know the, the real thing on the Democratic side is not a question about immigration, nor is it about border security or national security or high tech fences or walls or anything else. It's only about 
having an open border and increasing the number of illegal aliens in the United no, States no, who can be given no. who can be given voting status. And that's what happened. <laughs> the more people are digging into status, we find that 100,000 non-citizens voted in Pennsylvania. 55,000 non-citizens voted in Arizona. Nobody it's quite has likely been prosecuted for it these is, alleged activities. I'm sorry, but this David, all the, the reason that these are not happening... Just hap- because you I'm assert sorry. these things, Chris, does not make them so. I'm not... A, hold on, hold on. Wait, excuse me one second, Stephanie. Excuse me. This is not. Excuse me. We're making this argument. No, it's I'm not, nonsense. No, the it's Democrats not. want open borders so that we can put illegal aliens on the voting rolls. That's that, nonsense. Uh, well, if you, it's fantasy. If, okay, if you wanted say, let, to have let, let, let a solution, okay. you've turned down every opportunity no, to have a solution. Not at all. Yes, it is. Let's have a reasonable solution. Here is a. Re- here, here what is your proposal? You have no proposal. Anybody listening to the show could have told you what our proposal is. I just said it before the break. Here is a reasonable solution. And a reasonable and a reasonable action, okay? Barack Obama, and I'm, I'm I don't want to go into the rearview mirror too much because I don't like to do it. But again, I think we have to put it in context. Our worst when president, Barack Obama. I'm not going to acknowledge that. When Barack <laughs> Obama was president of the United States, he was frustrated with Congress. He was getting he was getting uh, uh, beaten up by the Latino caucus that he had not done enough to help the issue of the dreamers. And so he decides, after saying for almost a couple of years that I really can't do anything about it, he comes out with an executive order. Okay, all the, everybody gets excited. The Hispanics get excited. The Democrats get excited, okay? Because, again, at least one fourth of their, of their constituency has, has basically been, they've shut them up for a while. Then what happens? It gets to court. And the court says, you know, Mr. President, you can't do that. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The, pro, the court said, Mr. President, your legal analysis when you said to the nation 17 times yes. that you could not do this was accurate. You cannot do this. Right. This is exactly the same Barack Obama who in the 1991 reapportionment case in the city of Chicago cut the number of Hispanic wards to take care of his backers at Project Vote. There was never any intention on Obama's part speaking to of, solve the immigration speaking issue. Of looking in the rearview mirror, exactly. I, 27 years ago, I think what we're talking about today is uh, I read in this morning's paper, and I really plead with us to focus on what's happening looking forward. Uh, I read about the difficulties these hundreds of thousands of federal employees and all of the stores that didn't have any business and the child care. W- providers whose whose kids didn't come because their parents weren't working, all of these people who are in a financial crisis today because the president decided that he wanted to shut the government down. And I think the going forward issue is how do we properly reconstitute ourselves and have a rational discussion on immigration policy, on whatever the other policies are, without having the periodic threats to shut the government and throwing people into chaos. I will personally accept responsibility for the Republicans failing to do it in the two years that they had right. control. And I, I have said this on this program, and I will repeat it. Paul, the, the, the sale on Am- Amazon, you cannot get a Paul Ryan voodoo doll. 
Why? They're sold out. Every conservative in America has bought three or four for himself and to give to their friends. And conservatives all over America are stabbing the Paul Ryan voodoo dolls because we are only going through this right now because Trump and Ryan could not solve their issues and we couldn't get to a resolution both on immigration and on the border under the Republicans. And what I want, what I want, just just as you have gone after one of yours, I would like to see both parties at all times to acknowledge if the issue, forget what, let's say it's, it, it is the dreamers, but it could be any issue. If you didn't solve it when you had the White House and both houses of Congress, then you know what? If you didn't solve it, it must not be that important. Yeah, and you know what? The dreamers, the dreamers right. were not that important. According no. to Rahm Emanuel, who was the chief of staff of the White House at the time, he said, let's focus on health care. He said the hell with the dreamers. But, but no, 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 slow, slow down there, Bruce. I, I'm sorry. This is really back. No, 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 no. Wait, wait. Hang on. Let because not because the, the, argument, the argument that providing health care for more than 10 million Americans is more important than the dreamers, I'm sorry, but yes, it is. It was more urgent. It needed to be done when they had both houses of Congress. Should he have Could made, they only do one thing? Yeah, really. Well, David, look how long it took yeah. to get the healthcare done. You can't once, you can't shoot guns. What I'm mean, saying is, I mean, could they not do two things at once? Well, apparently I mean, you know, not. We have a situation now where we have, you know, where, where I will acknowledge what, 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 what uh, Chris, uh, Chris just I'm said. I'm Chris. I've been here for what 30 Chris years. What Chris just said. <laughs> what just said is that they're, they're uh, the Republicans screwed up. They screwed up big time. The Democrats they did not get it, it, things look, done when they said they were going to get them done. And we're seeing right now is that Donald Trump, at least in the last six months, Republicans and Democrats joined together on the criminal justice reform. Right. So they can do it. So and they can do more than yeah. one thing at a time. We've we we got a break, Chris, and we're going to come back to you. It's Chris Roblin. Who is that? Chris Roblin. <laughs> First appearance, 1985. That guy. <laughs> That guy. guy. We will be back at 1-800-723-8029. And when we come back, hopefully your calls. Thank you. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt debt in in its place. place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. 
Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. And uh, if you are a regular listener, and hopefully there are many of them out there, and again, if you've not joined Beyond the Beltway uh, with Bruce Dumont, if you've not gone uh, to the web page or to the uh, Facebook page and uh, asked to be friended, please do that tonight. But again, uh, one of the things that we do here and we've done it for 39 years now is we bring people on the program. They exchange their, their, their political differences in a spirited way. Sometimes it gets maybe overboard a little bit for you. <laughs> but what we've developed over the years is, is, a, is a roster of people that, that love to talk about politics. They come here, uh, and, and frequently there's a lot of friends that develop on the other side of the aisle. And that's part of the camaraderie and the spirit of which really it's the foundation of this program. And uh, hopefully if you're out there listening or watching this program, you get to know people and maybe root for them and, and maybe some guests you like better than others, but a guest who really has emerged over the last couple of years on this program as really one of our favorites, and based on response, one of your favorites as well, was Michael Bauer, or is Michael Bauer. Michael Bauer was a guest on this program just last week, and uh, Michael Bauer, as uh, you will recall, he is a Democrat. Uh, he speaks very strongly from the heart. He's not necessarily always predictable where he's coming from. He's also been an advisor to the Illinois uh, Holocaust uh, uh, Commission. And uh, uh, my, my report to you is that last week he was on the program. We went out to dinner at Harry Carey's. We had a wonderful time. And, and during the week, uh, Michael Bauer fell ill. And he fell ill in a, in a big way. It was a very serious illness. He's still with us. He's alive. Maybe not real well, but hopefully he's getting better as the hours go by. But again, I want to inform you of all of that information because if you'll send along a thought or a prayer, uh, wherever you are, whatever your religion, uh, I think Michael would appreciate it. And again, uh, at this point, I'm going to ask my guests this evening to introduce themselves, and, and uh, at least a couple of few of them are longtime friends of Michael, and uh, let them offer uh, whatever a wish they would like to do as well. And we'll begin with one of his oldest friends, and that's our Democrat, Dave Lundy. Dave? Thanks, Bruce. Uh, Dave Lundy, president of Aileron Communications, PR and public affairs strategy firm. Uh, Michael is one of my oldest and dearest friends, um, and I spoke to him uh, just this evening as I was driving down. Uh, he got out of the hospital today. He's doing better, um, uh, and uh, he will be he will be back and feisty in no time. Chris Roebling, Michael, you got to get Lundy's chicken soup. <laughs> this is essential for your complete recovery, for which all of us are rooting here, and we really want you back in fighting form real soon. And one of my, I would say. Dearest and newest friends, Mike Bauer. Rebecca Sive. Yes, I joined Chris and Dave. I've known Michael, I would say, a couple of decades at least. Uh, Treasured his forthrightness and enthusiasm for the process. So, Michael, my very best wishes. I'm Rebecca Sive, uh, most recently the author of a book called Vote Her In, Your Guide to Electing Our First Woman President. I'm excited to tell you that since I was last year, it has come out in audio as well as print. Very good, and we'll talk about that later in the broadcast. Stephanie Hitt, you've been on with Michael many times. I have many times, and Michael, I'm really hoping you get better because I've enjoyed our rides home after the show. <laughs> so I'll be glad to give you a ride and pick you up anytime. And so get better soon because I know where you live. And um, again, from all the people in Evanston, mostly Democrats, uh, I say get well wishes to Michael. 
Okay, we continue, and I, uh, you know, I offer my uh, expression of, of get well wishes as well. And again, uh, you're, you're one of our favorite guests around here, so so get back. And and also, uh, you're usually available at the last minute, which we really appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But it's great. And again, uh, to your uh, to your to your partner Roger, I know you've been together for a long, long time, and he's been uh, helping with the chicken soup and everything else for the last uh, week, and and, and hopefully for many, many years to come. So so good luck to you. Uh, I want to ask, just follow up a little bit on uh, on where the pre- how deeply the president you think is hurt when people like Ann Coulter and Rush Limbaugh attack him. Uh, is that is that a deep cut? You know, I I don't think he is, and I'm one of these people. You know, I was a converted base member. I've never been a you know always Trumper by any means, but I think I think that. Uh, I'm going to step back a little bit. I know that his mantra was build the wall, and that that struck a a vibe with a significant portion of the base or a certain portion of the base, I'll say. But a lot of Trump's support came despite that. And I would not say that across the board um, everybody is – every Republican that voted for Trump is a diehard wall supporter. Um, we understand that it's significant, that it's important, but remember, Trump was elected for a lot of other reasons, and those other reasons still hold very firm and true for a lot of people. So I do not think it hurts him with his base, and I don't think it hurts him with the people that voted for him for other reasons. Chris Roebling. I think this episode is actually going to strengthen Trump. I think this episode is going, shows his base that he was in there fighting. He was in there doing everything that he could. I think the next three weeks are going to show that he's in there doing everything that he can. I don't think people are going to be as upset with him for the failures of Paul Ryan, etc. I think they're going to focus their anger on Nancy Pelosi if she continues in her obstructionism. Right. So I think that in terms of Trump reelect right now, he's doing okay. So I, I, I think that could change. And I think the fact that a Ann Coulter or that a Rush Limbaugh gets mad at him, I, I, I think that there, there are a lot of folks out there who are going to love him no matter what, uh, but it only confounds the critics if there's a fight on the right, and, and that's probably good for Trump going into reelect yeah. as well. And the, me- and the media loves it. The media, media loves it. That's what loves I mean. It. They, yeah, love they love it because it. Yeah. they think well, that they, they turned on, on him. Well. They, 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 they don't not. understand any of it, but they, don't they love it. They understand that the anger is, <laughs> well, but the like support is still they there. Like a fight. They uh, do, but they, they misread what Rush Limbaugh and how they interpret what, what Donald Trump means for the Republican Party. It's, it's not what Democrats and the media like to portray. There's a he has a much different kind of meaning, and that is that he, he you know he brought in a sense um, a sensibility back to the office, a willingness to fight up against some of the ridiculous accusations and yes, ridiculous claims by the right. Yes, but if you are a pundit or if you are a talk show host, yeah. You don't have to get to 370 electoral votes. You can Correct. say whatever right, you exactly. want. 270. Exactly. 270. 270. Yeah. Well, we're going to – the Republicans well, are going to change it. Electoral <laughs> college changes, and, you know, it's only 200 or okay. something. Now, back to, back to uh, the Democratic side, because I, w- I want to switch gears and talk about uh, the people that are running for president, including we've got three U.S. senators running now. Uh, unless – you look like you're – No, before we get there – Like you're ready to – 
pounce on Ann Coulter a little bit. No, I'm, I'm ready to pounce on the, the people through the looking glass on the other side of the table here. Um, what, what, it wasn't the, the pundits who forced Donald Trump 37 days ago in response to Ann Coulter and Rush Limbaugh having a freakout over the deal that he did two days ago that he could have done 37 days ago. But you don't it was know. Donald Trump who did that. Did, He's David, the, David. No, no, no. Hang on, Chris. You can't reinvent history. Donald Trump had authorized. Donald Trump had authorized. Donald Trump had authorized Mitch McConnell to do this deal. Right. He, had, he, had, he had authorized Republicans to do the deal. They were prepared to do the deal. Mitch would not have called it without the White House authorization. And they were doing the deal. And all of a sudden, that's when Ann Coulter and Rush Limbaugh freaked out, and that's when Donald Trump shut down the government. So let's not reinvent history, please. And I think there's one other point here, since we're on the Democratic side of the table now, um, which is to say that I actually think that, you know, whatever Coulter and Rush Limbaugh are doing, what the polls show is that the president's popularity has significantly declined over these 37 days. So they're not the ones, as Dave just said, running for office. The president is. Uh, Furthermore, I read this afternoon that there are Republicans saying publicly, this is in the reported, that they're worried about whether he can be a viable candidate next time around because his poll numbers are so low and are going lower. Now, if he may decide to run, anyone who wants, we're going to talk about this, you know, Anyone who can say they want to run for president if they want to, they may not win. But the fact of the matter is that the consensus seemed to be among these Republicans that diminishing polling creates a problem for a prospective candidate, and that's the position Donald Trump and is his in this re-elect, afternoon. And his reelect right now is in the high 30s. Right. So I don't know how you, f- you find that that's a comfortable place for an incumbent to be. Um, hold on, hold on. You I, said he's doing fine. In his I, I, I said I talked about his. So I was much. speaking about his base, and I was speaking about his base going into re-election. And I think his base is concerned to see that he keeps a promise of trying to get this thing done. He can't win again uh, with the well, size I, of that I, base. I, I, I'm so sorry. It's immaterial. If he doesn't have that base, he's not going to win. And he, he has have to it. have that base to win, and winning is going to require first having the base. And I think we're all aware that the Trump. Social media campaign has already identified many, many millions of support. I mean, this is, you're you're looking at the most sophisticated campaign in history coming at you. So Donald, I, Donald Trump I, did I, not win the popular vote two years ago. He, I, I'm, I'm well aware. He, he Neither did Bill Clinton when he ran twice. Vote. Okay, so, so I'm so, not worried about that. Time, one time, Rebecca. So I, I, I think the the thing here is that you know what's that expression about the numbers matter? The point is that if his polling numbers are going down, that means fewer people are likely to vote for him, even fewer than were willing to vote for him two years ago. And what that means in the four key states, take Michigan. I was there this afternoon, so I'm thinking about it. Ten thousand votes, somewhere between ten and eleven thousand votes. If just some of those people who are now saying I didn't like being thrown out of work. Uh, decide, Michigan goes a different way. So I think that, yes, you're right, he starts with the base, but he ain't got a whole lot more right now. The one thing that he had in 2016, which he's not going to have in 2020, is the element of surprise. That's right. Nobody, virtually, well, I did, but very few people, I know Dave Lundy, you said very derogatory things about it, 
In fact, we played back the tape. Yes, the- you did, oh, Bruce. You did. <laughs> <laughs> because the first time I ever mentioned Donald Trump might even win the Republican primary, you laughed for about 15 seconds. I, I, I did. But, so, and, but, but um, again, he's not going to surprise anybody. In the, the he's pe- also not going to have Hillary Clinton. That's correct. And the wait people, a minute, the Hillary's not Michigan, agreeing with that. The people in Michigan yeah. uh, uh, have uh, woke up. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive. But our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. A reminder, if you have not uh, joined the Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont Facebook page, go there right now. I'm going to befriend everybody. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, what we're going to be doing for for the foreseeable future is we're going to be presenting uh, things above and beyond the Sunday night discussion show. And right now we're, we're focusing on the big election in Chicago. This is a Chicago election edition and uh, there'll be short, uh, you know, 20-minute interviews about what's happening in the race for Chicago's mayor. And again, if you're listening, obviously, in Chicago, you're very interested. But there's a lot of political junkies all over the country that will be interested in seeing who is going to replace Rahm Emanuel. Uh, we got 14 people running. It's, it's, a, it's a knockdown, dragout discussion. Nobody really knows. But again, if you want to go, you could go to Beyond, uh, Beyond the Bellway uh, with Bruce Dumont Facebook page right now uh, once you're befriended. And uh, you'll be able to see an analysis uh, with the Shia Campos uh, from uh, Politico and also Carol Felsenthal. And also later tonight, uh, we're going to be releasing the interview, the one-on-one interview I did with Gary McCarthy, the former police superintendent of Chicago, who's in the mix for running for mayor. And again, again, the way you get these things is you go to a Facebook page and also uh, uh, we'll direct you to the YouTube as well. So that's above and beyond what we bring you every Sunday night. Uh, Let's come back to uh, the Democrats running for president right now. Uh, A lot of women uh, are already in the race. Right. And your goal in the book, Vote Her In, all you care about is that a woman is elected. Is that correct? I uh, wrote the book, which is called Vote Her In, Your Guide to Electing Our First Woman President, because I do believe it's time to elect a woman president. Uh, It is not the only thing I care about, but I do think that it's past time. We're almost 200 years since uh, the Constitution was signed, and I think it's time for us to have a woman president. As we were discussing a moment ago, uh, a woman did win the popular vote the last time around, which I think demonstrates that the American public, men as well as women, are ready to elect a woman. So why not a woman? My question to you is, with Camilla Harris uh, and with Kirsten uh, Gillibrand, right. at least two to focus on at the moment, uh, and, and Elizabeth Warren, right. of those three, who's had the best publicity out of the box? You know, it's interesting because I, I thought that uh, both Gillibrand and Warren were very compelling, 
But on the tactical level, for instance, I've gotten, I believe, uh, an email a day from Kamala Harris, and I've never given any money to her. She obviously has the right lists, and she's pushing, 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 and I thought it was brilliant that she had this very large rally this afternoon because that's the kind of thing that the media covers. Dave, what, what have you seen uh, being the other Democrat on the panel this evening uh, amongst those three campaigns? Is there anything that you can report either a plus or, or negative that you see in those races? Well, I, I actually would agree uh, with Rebecca. I think that Kamala Harris of those three um, has had the best rollout. Um, I think that uh, Kirsten Gillibrand um, has got a problem uh, dealing with her past. And I don't mean that she's got a dirty past, but she has a conservative, a more conservative past when she was an upstate congresswoman, um, plus the issue with her calling for Al Franken to resign. So that that led to a more nuanced uh, rollout. Um, and Elizabeth Warren, we all know, had the DNA test. So um, but but let's. You know, Can let's I ask rec- a follow-up about, about Kamala Harris? Sure. One of the things that's come out about her is that, that she was a prosecutor. Yes. And some Democrats think she was too much of a law and order prosecutor and that being a tough on crime might be a negative in the Democratic primary. Is it? No. I, 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 mean, I get it within within a certain part, uh, a segment of the progressive movement. Of course it is. I, I get that. Um, but I think that when you look at the oh, the totality of right. the Democratic primary, when you look at the states that she has to compete in, right. I think that net the prosecutor background will be a huge plus for her. Right. And I um, think that if Amy Klobuchar uh, announces, which everyone anticipates that she will, she also is a prosecutor. And in, so there's going to be a very, I think, uh, significant and valuable discussion for voters about how do you approach these criminal justice issues. And I did hear uh, the other day Kamala Harris respond on some of those points, and she said, I am happy to talk about my record, which is the best thing in the world any candidate can say. I'm here to answer your questions. And I think that goes a long way with people who want to know what is this person about and do I want to vote for her. The, the, these, the candidates that we've seen so far, and I think all the candidates that we're going to see, are going to present the same kind of tension that we understand between the Democratic Party of your that, that, that represented working people and the Democratic Party of today that is really a collection of special interest group concerns and has lost touch, I think, with uh, just regular working people in the country, opening up things for the populist sort of flavor of Trump. Number two... Kamala Harris is a machine politician who was pushed up the ladder by Willie Brown and by her fealty to the Democratic structure of San Francisco. There's no three ways about it. And she is going to have problems because to the extent that she was an effective prosecutor, she's a very intelligent person. She's got amazing personal story, very inspirational, you know, a legal immigrant story to, to, to beat the band, a classic American success story although many parts of the Democratic coalition hate to even hear those words put together anymore. And number three, I think that the real problem with the women's, and here's the book, and everybody should go buy it, but I'm going to Thank say you, Chris. It's a everybody book. should go buy it, and everybody should, or, or if you drive a lot, you should get the audio version. But I'm going to say that you haven't really addressed the, I, I think one of the major missteps of the era, and that is the way the women's march got started, aiding and abetting anti-Semitism at its very peak of, of, of policy discussion. And, and this is the problem for Democrats. I they cannot reconcile their liberal or their leftism and their core values. I, I and by the way, I, I want to give you a full opportunity yeah. to respond to that lengthy yeah. question. But we do have to break. We're at the end of hour number one. Let's, it'll be a tease to hour number two. 
For people wherever you're listening from coast to coast and border to border, we'll get the answer to that question when we roll on. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Standing up for what's right, helping out when things go wrong, seeking the truth, and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt debt in in its place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. 
Bruce Levin back in Chicago. Again, I just want to make a, a quick note, and then we're going to go back to uh, Rebecca Sai, who's going to respond to a question that, that Chris Roebling uh, posed uh, during the uh, end of the first hour of the broadcast. Uh, you know that we've been talking about, on this program for a long, long time about uh, the bipartisan effort that was going through Congress on criminal justice reform. And again, uh, for those like myself who are supportive of that issue, we were all happy that the Republicans and Democrats actually came together on something. Jared Kushner was pushing it because he had the ear of the White House, and President Trump signed it, and everybody was excited because this was Republicans and Democrats and liberals and conservatives basically saying, let's look at the sentencing in addition to some of the disparities in, in, uh, in how we, we treat uh, prisoners and how we prepare ex-offenders when they come out of prison. So everybody felt good about that. And it was called the First Step Act. Well, the people that put together the First Step Act decided, hey, this is good. We're going to, let's do the Second Step Act. And the Second Step Act is taking some of those, you know, building on what was done and trying to expand more. So we're dealing with large populations of African Americans and large populations of anyone with any uh, misdemeanor drug charges that have somehow you know, got themselves caught up uh, in the uh, criminal justice system. And that's part of what they want to do now. But here's a problem. The Democrat who was leading the First Step Act, obviously was Dick Durbin in the Senate and also Charles Grassley in the Senate, but it was Representative Hiram uh, or Hi- Hi- Hiam, Hakeem, Hakeem Jeffries, pardon right, me, right. and Representative Collins of Georgia, the Republican and the Democrat. So these are two guys that were sort of on a roll that they were the head of this ship that was bipartisan, and they got the president to sign the bill. Everybody happy, right? Because all those constituencies now, there's maybe more that could be done for them to assist them because it's already been proven that this little coalition can get together and do something good. Well, guess what? Last week at the uh, Martin Luther King uh, event in his native New York, Representative Jeffries refers to the President of the United States as the Grand Wizard at the White House. He talks about, on Martin Luther King Day, he talks about that the President is the Grand Wizard. Now, my question is, if you're a smart politician and you've just had great success demonstrating a bipartisan position, and you're now the number three Democrat in the House of Representatives. You've been, you've been bumped up. You're now number three, the head of the Democratic caucus in, in, in Washington. Why on earth would you say such a stupid thing, even if you believed it? Why would you say such a stupid thing against the president, who you know is very thin-skinned, and it seems to me that, that you, you are cutting off your nose to spite your face by saying something. You're hurting the people you allegedly want to help with your own stupid political rhetoric because you wanted to get an applause line at a Martin Luther King rally in your home district in, in New York. It's just stupid. Does anybody want to challenge me on that? Does everybody agree with what I just said? I do. I do. I do. Yes. <laughs> Our Democrats, what do you think? Uh, Name-calling is is never helpful. However, the name-caller-in-chief is named Donald Trump. Okay, but two wrongs don't make a right. What about his... I'm I'm with you. Dave advocating what about Rebecca? Yeah. I I had not heard about this, so I I will look into it. But I wanted to go back to uh, 
the erroneous statement that Chris made before the break regarding the nature of the Democratic Party, because I think that's fundamentally more important than name-calling uh, as harmful as it may be whoever does it. Um, and that is his characterization of the party as being a party of special interests. I think that um, there are many, the congressional races that Democrats won uh, in November are, were won because all kinds of people in those districts voted Democratic, not just people of a certain type. Millions and millions of people voted for a radical, a different change, a change from Republican to Democrat uh, in the Congress, all kinds of people. So that's number one. Number two, many of those people, I can speak particularly about the women because that's my uh, topic area, many of those people, uh, everyday people who decided to run for office, um, you can just go down the list. You can talk about the women. You can talk about Lauren Underwood in Illinois, a nurse. You can talk about Alexandria Ocasio, apart from her politics, a waitress and bartender. You can talk about the women who are teachers and on down the line. God bless them. So, so, so the, but the important thing here is not whether God blesses them or not. The important thing is understanding that uh, the Democratic Party successfully put forward a policy agenda that related to working people, and working people responded. I know you also had some comments um, on the uh, front of anti-Semitism, and I defer to my colleague Dave on that one. He's but the anti-Semitism I, I, at the core of the Women's March. It's not so much core. that the no, DNC Chris, this Chris, year Chris, had Chris, to Chris, denounce Chris the Women's no, March. Uh, yeah. So I mean, this is established by the DNC. Chris, My authority Chris, Chris, here is, Chris, Chris. is the DNC. A this we, is an enormous problem. They've got huge. they've got women members of Congress who are uttering Hamas phrases and who are taking well, pictures with. Osama bin Laden portraits. I mean, this is abhorrent no, to anyone who. No, 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 no. Let, let's, 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 no, no, there let's, are several. I'm going let's to go. Let's, let, the the yeah, anti Semitism yeah. okay. in the Democratic Party is virulent. I want to find out. I want to find no. out. I want to find out from Dave Lundy. I want to find out your assessment of the strain of anti Semitism that appears to, appears to be present in certain Democratic-related uh, organizations. And, Bruce, when we do that, let's talk about the anti-Semitic uh, strain, more than a strain that begins with Donald Trump that runs rampant through the Republican Party. Okay, let, but let's, let's talk about yeah, the Democrats I mean, first. Uh, what, 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 you know, my, my, my dear friend Chris um, likes to throw out, take, take a tiny strand and turn it into an Afghan. Um, and the problem with that is that, yes, you are absolutely correct. There are a couple of members of the Women's March leadership um, who are anti-Semitic and have engaged in anti-Semitic conduct. And that is why the Democratic Party, hang on, that's why the Democratic Party pulled away. That's why a lot of Democrats pulled away. But the original Women's March, the strength of the Women's March, was a direct response to Donald Trump getting elected. Right. And so it was not anti-Semitism at the core. It's a, it, there are a couple of members of the Women's March that have engaged in that conduct. They have been rebuked by the core of the Democratic Party. But when, and I, as, when, when people like me on this program 10 months ago said the Democratic Party has a problem because it enveloped this whole Women's March and there are folks in there who are deeply anti-Semitic. Do we want to talk about Charlottesville? Oh, hold on Do a we second. No, talk I'm, about I'm talking, no, we're talking about Do the Democratic Party. Talk... You wanted to talk about the Democratic Party and its current nature? This is it. 
And I said this 10 months ago, and you and others said, Roebling, you're wrong, you're out of your mind, you're smoking something. Uh, Donald Trump is a racist and he's a bigot and an anti-Semite. Wow, now, the, right Demo- then, right now. the Democratic National Committee now disavows the very folks to whom we were pointing 10 months ago. Yes, but so you, you guys but are you trying to, to get out of the and fact. you say it's the whole movement. No, I'm saying that there, it is so significant that in some places the Democratic, I'm sorry, in some places the Women's March has actually scaled back by a factor of six yes, or but eight. but you can't have it both ways. Either the Democratic Party rejects them because they're anti-Semites or they embrace them. And the reality I is the Democratic Rebecca Party... Why did them. Rebecca wants more Democratic women elected. She wants a Democrat Me woman. Too. And I said, why did the Democratic women in opposition? Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway. And on the silver screen, not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. We're still going back in Chicago. And uh, uh, one of the other things, and then we're going to button this subject up, I think everybody would admit that that both parties uh, have people within the parties that say things sometimes outrageous that embarrass, they embarrass the family, okay? Steve King is one such person in the Republican Party. <laughs> yes. And whenever, and whenever he utters anything... Uh, yeah. There are many within the party, and certainly virtually everyone in the media, that wants every Republican to repudiate him, okay? Then there are those on the Democratic side, and again, we're getting into some of the, the recent charges of anti-Semitism. But some of those things, sometimes that gets into a discussion of Minister Louis Farrakhan. Whether the Democratic Party and, and some of its biggest names, whether they go out of their way to criticize Minister Louis Farrakhan who is viewed by many as an anti-Semite. He's viewed by many people in the African-American community as, as a great guy, as a savior, because he does a lot of positive things for the African-American community. But the guy has very strong anti-Semitic positions. But, you know, being able to go out and, and denounce each, each side, wanting to de- having someone denounce someone within their midst, one of the reasons they do that is because they feel that if some if a Republican denounces Steve King, maybe a Republican is going to lose votes because Steve King may be speaking for a lot of people in the Republican Party, just like anti-Semites might be speaking for people in the Democratic Party as well as the Republican Party. Is this truth? Am I have I just spoken the truth, Dave? Yeah, 
Yeah. You agree? Um, no, I, I, I look. Um, uh, the Republicans tend to be very obsessed with Louis Farrakhan, um, and I don't know any. Rightly so. Look, I, 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 as a proud Jew, um, I find Louis Farrakhan to be abhorrent, disgusting, um, anti-Semitic. You name it, I'm happy to throw out the invective. Um, but. I don't think about Louis Farrakhan on a day-to-day basis because he's not relevant to the Democratic Party on a day-to-day basis. Right. He's not. He's, he's, he's not because a, he's meeting his vote goals. Right. No, he's, he's, oh, he's come no. On, David. No, Chris, it's, it's, you just, you know, you, 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 you act again, like you, you act like this. you have no connection to the fact that he's turning out certain totals in certain neighborhoods around the country always for your candidates. Always. Always for your candidates. You have to admit, Obama had an opportunity to announce him, and he never did. No, Rebecca, you work work in in Democratic politics. You've worked in Democratic politics a long time. Are you aware that Louis Farrakhan is one of our key uh, key guys? No, this was actually the first I heard this. I actually, um, now I am looking back uh, to what I think, since we're sitting in Chicago and everyone around this table remembers this, uh, to the first election of Harold Washington as mayor in 1983. And what happened, is that's really what I look to when I think about these difficult subjects. When there are candidates who really, in, this is my view, uh, respond to the best in us, as I believe Harold Washington did in his message about social justice, uh, there turned out to be a whole range of people who supported him. And uh, there there were people who... Uh, are black Muslims who supported Harold Washington and voted for him. Whether or not Louis Farrakhan had a turnout operation, I never heard about that. There were also people like Dave and me, Jewish people, who worked hard for him. So I think that the point here is that the good thing about the Democratic Party is that it can be a home to people who do share a point of view on some very important issues like civil rights and social justice. If they wildly disagree on others, so be it. Uh, many of us speak out against the, the, honestly, that honestly. kind of hate speech. Let me just finish my sentence. Yeah. But I think the goal here, and I think my own experience, I think the first Democrat I worked for was Barbara Mikulski in 1976 in Chicago when she came here to talk to people. I mean, I've been at this a long time. Um, my experience is you focus on the positive, you focus on the issues that people can agree on, and you denounce hate speech when you see it from whoever okay. it comes here, from. Here, here is, uh, you, since we're talking about Chicago politics, there's a little bit of a late motif to this conversation. I'll say, as a Republican, that we had a very learned, very cosmopolitan, indeed very liberal Republican in 1983, Bernie Epton, who happened to be Jewish and was also an attorney and a very highly regarded member of the bar here in Chicago, who had never uttered a racist thing in his entire life, but whose campaign in the final round, because in those days there was a Democrat line and a Republican line, um, his campaign was, shall we say, overtaken by racist elements in the city of Chicago. I don't think there's any real Epton question about before it. it's but, too but, late. But having Co-opted. and Co-opted. and and that was and I was a part of the Republican group to undo that problem in the next go round 
and I'm very proud of the relationship that I had with Harold Washington. And we uh, it was in the, it was co-opted by Republicans and, and by Democrats. Democrats yeah, committee right now, I want to say about I, I, I believe, Rebecca, that your view of the Democratic Party, unfortunately, belongs in the field museum. It's not something relevant today, because if you want intellectual diversity and a welcomeness, a, a welcome in, in the Republican Party, there are folks Demo there are there are solid Republicans who are pro-choice. There are solid Republicans who are pro-life. Both of them get elected to the United States Senate. Both of them get elected to the United States House. Both of them get elected all over the... And that's not the only... There, there are Republicans who support school choice. There are Republicans who are opposed to it. In the Democratic Party, there is a lockstep ideological litmus test approach that no longer allows the kind of welcome that you are discussing for folks of uh, goodwill with different views on, say, abortion or right. the teachers' unions Rebecca. or the size of government or I the size of increasing taxes. The, 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 the key point, to uh, I think, is not what you've just said, which is that there may be a few uh, pro-choice Republicans. There left are the hundreds. No, 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 Ann no. Stone, not wife elected. of Roger. They're not elected. Not elected. They're not elected. Are, they are elected. Clearly, they're not true. That is that's totally untrue. You are perpetuating a unicorn. That is going to be the number one problem for a Congress. woman running as a Democrat. That is one of the biggest problems, and I'm going to tell you this right now. The, ridiculous. The, the inability to accept women who are pro-life Anti-choice would actually, be the term. We no, are it's all pro-life. Pro we know what the life is. Life at conception. And that is, and science is proving that, but we'll get into that later, that the inability for Democrats to welcome into the fold anyone who believes that life begins at conception is going to be the undoing of that. Well, there, you, you, you've no got Trump because you have a senator who is pro-choice. Name Why women voted said, for Donald Trump. Trump. I'm sorry. She I'm was sorry. a Democrat. Me. No, You're right. I'm, I'm sorry, Murkowski. I'm sorry. I was thinking. I was getting my Polish surnames oh, mixed up. So I think. I uh, think we've got. Uh, she is an independent, by the way. No, she's a Republican. She is not an she independent. She was not a slated Republican. She ran as. She an has, she, unlike Over Bernie Sanders, she has said, "I am a Republican." Bernie Sanders says, "I am an independent, except when I want to run for higher office, then I'm a Democrat." So, so um, here, uh, uh, Lisa Murkowski says. I ran as an independent to get back. I'm back. Now I'm a Republican. Okay, so you're wrong on that, and you're misrepresenting the facts. So, so, so. And by the way, you're not pro-life when you want to kill children the day before their due date, as we just saw in New York. Let her finish. I mean, come on. That is not science. Chris, let I'm not going to dignify what Chris just said with a response. What I am going to say in all seriousness is this. There are values uh, that some of us share, and those some of us I'm referring to are predominantly democratic people. And those values have to do with equality, social justice, civil rights, equal opportunity. Within that are positions on particular issues, like the issue of uh, reproductive rights, which I think was not on the agenda for today, and we probably don't have enough time to give it a thoughtful discussion. But my point is this. I don't think the issue is whether you can find one Republican senator who happens to be pro-choice, for instance, as you have said just a moment ago. It is which of these two parties stands for equality, 
of all people. And what I would say to you is that is the core of the Democratic Party platform of Democrats who may differ on other issues. It is not the core of the Republican Party as it is led by Donald Trump. I'm sorry, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. You're perpetuating a myth because no. you're unable to deal with the dynamic realities. What's the you myth? have lost Ohio. You lost myth? because equality from the Republican point of view. When a Democrat says equality, what that means is equal the, opportunity the, the, the government comes in and takes control no. and makes and decides who the winners and finish. losers are. That is exactly how a Republican perceives that claim of equality. The perception may fact, not be accurate. The Republican view of equality is that there is a oh, there is opportunities out there that people, individuals, are allowed to pursue on their own without government intervention. Well, here's a and great a equality. Huge here's a, Dave here's Lundy. A, Dave Lundy. Yeah, the, I mean, you, you've got a, an interesting perception filter um, on that in terms of the definition of equality. Look, I, I, am a, I am a proud Democrat, although, Bruce, you keep saying I'm a card-carrying Democrat. You've been saying that for, I don't know, a decade or more. Yeah. I actually don't have a card that says I'm a Democrat. <laughs> do they have cards anymore? No, I don't, I don't no, think I don't, so. No. We, we don't, we don't no. do cards. I lost my um, card. But, but the, the, look, the, there's no question which is the party of intolerance, and it's the Republicans these days. Um, so, yeah, no, for real. You um, cannot speak I'm at sorry. a Democratic convention if you are a pro-life right. Democrat. Are a pro-life, that is intolerance, David. The way we have Bill. We have pro-choice, Re- pro-choice is- Republicans speak at, pro- at Republican conventions all the time. Okay. That, is a, that is a lie. Okay. That is just a lie. What's well, a lie? What did you just say? What did you just say? You said you can't be pro-Israel and speak at the Democratic convention. pro-Israel, and that's the Republican Party. No. Donald Trump. You said you cannot speak at a Democratic convention if you're pro-Israel. That is a fabrication. Debt. Yeah, it's more than a fabrication. It's a It is true that they will not let a pro-life is, Democrat speak. And, 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 do speak. and Donald Trump has been, been Back proven shortly to be more from pro-Israel Chicago. than Obama. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt debt in in its place. place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC-certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago again. Uh, if you've not gone to Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont and requested to be a friend on my Facebook page, please do that uh, this evening. Write it, everybody. Well, I, yeah, think, I think I think I think some people around here I know are. That? We're all I'm doing it right all now. All doing it right now. And again, it's beyond the Bellway with Bruce Dumont. It's the. It's How do you spell Dumont? D U capital M O N T. Do that because I liked it. Uh, what How do we're I get going. To be a uh, just don't you just do, like I do. Figure it out. They get notices. Yeah. Your 
following. You're following. Make sure you're following. following. Make sure. No, I don't know about this. He's liked. Make oh, wait, sure. wait. You mean he hit like? Yeah. Oh, hey. oh. Hi, by the way, hey. here's, why we want you, here's why we want you to do it. First of all, it's a way to communicate to those that are listening and watching Beyond the Beltway uh, what we're going to be doing here every Sunday night so we can give you some advanced notification. But again, what we're doing, because there's this big mayor's race going on in Chicago, we're doing above and beyond the Sunday night show, we're doing periodic interviews, short interviews, 18-minute interviews, that are going to be looking into the Chicago mayor's race. I did a one-on-one interview with Gary McCarthy, the police superintendent, former police superintendent, who wants to be mayor. That's running on uh, Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont right now. Tomorrow afternoon, we're going to offer another one with Willie Wilson, one of the candidates. But also something, I mean, if there are people that are coming uh, through town that have written political books, again, I'll do a, a, an interview with them. That'll be on beyondthebeltway.com. And again, this is above and beyond Every Sunday night when we have our regular format together, it's things, it's reasons that you may want to go to Bruce Dumont and Beyond the Beltway uh, Facebook page if you want to do that uh, during the week. And so uh, we're starting it tonight. So uh, the more the merrier. Uh, So let's get rolling. And everybody's done. In fact, we'll make that a requirement. Everybody's got to be. Yeah. And by the way, that means that the guests who are on this program, they can respond to what they've seen on Facebook so they can elaborate on on what they've already done or or put their own little website or their own little, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, Twitter handles out there so you can follow them. It's an opportunity to uh, kind of spread the word and and make things available uh, to more people who are listeners to be on the Beltway. One person who is uh, a longtime listener and a regular caller, he's Mike, he's in Spokane, Washington. He's from KXLY, one of our oldest affiliates, and you've got some questions about our old friend Roger Stone. I do, Bruce. Yes, I do. And uh, I would like to say, first of all, that that I am pro-life and and didn't vote for Hillary because of one of those reasons. But yeah, Roger Stone, as you know, um, his FBI FBI invaded his house, 28 FBI agents, uh, heavily armed. His attorney could have been contacted before this. So that's them to get this straightened out. So these are Gestapo tactics um, by the FBI, and Gestapo is probably the right word. It's a frightening trend to have 28 FBI agents knock on your door at 6 in the morning yelling, FBI, open the door. Uh, so when the dust However, Mike, let me, just, let, me, let me just mention, this is not yeah. unique uh, to Roger Stone. It's standard operating procedure. I know it's shocking. They may be Gestapo tactics, which I agree with, but it's standard operating procedure the way the FBI works. And the other thing that they did in this case, which they frequently do, they'll tip the news media, and that's why CNN was there. Right. Did the same thing to Rod Blagojevich. Yes, they did. This is, this, is the, this is the way that our Justice Department reacts, okay? And if you don't like the way they've done it, they do it to Republicans, they do it to Democrats, but this is standard Justice Department, FBI treatment of people who have not yet been charged with anything. Go ahead. Yeah, and also four or five years from now, when the dust settles, where are we going to be in America as far as home invasion, the government? How safe are we going to be after all this four or five years from now? We're going to be right where we are, I think, right now. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think anybody standing up there is going to, is going to change things. Uh, again, I think it's part of the, the way in which the Justice Department, uh, and this is this is some of the uh, uh, this is some of the downside of what we've learned about our Justice Department over the last couple of years. 
The people who make up the FBI, the people who make up the Justice Department, uh, virtually everyone at this table grew up believing that the federal government and the Justice Department could do no wrong. Now, we knew about in the 1960s the Justice Department was doing wrong to a lot of people, most of whom were were African-American. So the history is there. But we are now seeing, by the way that this is being handled within the Trump administration, we're finding out it doesn't make any difference whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. The Justice Department acts in a particular way. And the more Americans learn about how they act, I think there's going to be greater suspicion of the Justice Department and what they do and the tactics that they use. May I? Go ahead. Well, I just I, there are there are former high-ranking Department of Justice uh, prosecutors and other attorneys, and I'm sitting next to one right here, who say that in the case of uh, white-collar criminals, and I know this to be the case from a variety of circumstances, uh, whose attorneys um, who are not flight risks, who are not violent, who get called and are told, you know, come by the courthouse tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, you're going to be arrested and prosecuted because the indictment has been returned against your client. So they speak to the attorney, the attorney speaks to the client, then the attorney and the client show up and they will get processed. And sometimes that's the same day as an arraignment. Right. And, you know, like, for example, I mean, he was put out on bail that day. So that that can happen. Um, It is interesting. There are, there are, you know, there's a lot of subjectivity that comes into this. And that's the thing is sometimes... Uh, white-collar cr- criminals' targets are afforded those graciousness. And, and sometimes even drug sometimes, dealers right. are afforded that. But but I think that I, – I, I don't know where the caller is, but I want to say I, – I, and I love Spokane. But I, I want to say that Gondaga. I think the, the point about the, the Stone indictment is that it shows conclusively that Mueller has known for more than a year and a half that there was no collusion – and that he absolutely negated his responsibility to clear that cloud after it had been improperly put over the presidency and our our republic, and he failed to say to the nation, there is no conspiracy, but we are continuing to look within the four corners of the Rosenstein now, charter now for our office. Go, all right, let's, let's go. Before we go back to you, Mike, I want to go to Dave Lundy who's our Democrat here, and it was Dave Lundy in the middle of the 2016 race for president that was the first guest to sort of drop in the water the possibility that the Russians were involved in the campaign uh, helping, uh, helping Donald Trump. He said that on this program long before anybody else was saying it, Robbie Mook, the campaign manager of, the, of, of Hillary Clinton had said it on Meet the Press that day, and Dave Lundy was on the air that night. He was the first singer in the chorus that has sung that song for two years. So my question to you is, and you've been on the program with Roger Stone, how important and or what twist does the Roger Stone indoor, uh, indictment mean to you? Well, first of all, <clears throat> I, I need to say that what Chris just said is not true. Um, it's not remotely true. There's not a shred of truth to the to these, this notion that um, that uh, that Mueller conclusively knows that 
uh, that there was no collusion. I completely disagree. And I think when you're done with this case and when you're done with the various indictments that are coming down and when the report comes out, it'll all be very clear, as was made clear in the indictment of the 23 Russians and the Russian organizations where they said they cooperated and worked with Americans. So, And I think that one of those Americans was named Roger Stone. Um, so I, uh, you know, this indictment. Mark that tape. Go Mark ahead. That Mark tape. that tape. Mark it. that tape. We got it. Dave's Mark. wrong again. The 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 notion that the notion oh, that prosecutors geez. reveal every single thing that they've got with the first indictment, we all know is not true. Um, was this the first indictment of Roger Stone? It oh, was. Okay. Okay. So was it nece- was it necessary? That this is the, gets back to the question that uh, a lot of people are upset about. Was it really necessary to do the raid? on Roger Stone and to arrest him the way they did it. I, look, I don't know enough about why they chose that. It's my understanding that they did simultaneous raids um, on his home when they, when they arrested him and I think in, in some business location um, because they were concerned that he was going to suddenly purge a bunch of material. Um, it makes me wonder, wait, why didn't he purge it the last six months? Exactly. It's, it's, a, it's, it's absurd. It was, it was a it's TV show for CNN. A helicopter. Well, David, years, David, so. I, but, but, I think but, the question you will agree. You will agree. Let David finish. Let you David will agree, Chris. With what? Tell me why they did the same thing to Rod Blagojevich. The, 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 you, you can't, or, I, or I have, any by the way, of, by the way, Bruce pointed I have out, consistently objected. Yes. I have consistently objected to how that Justice Department, which happened to be the uh, Bob Barr and um, uh, George Bush Justice Department, dealt with Rod Blagojevich. So, and, and up to and including Jim Zagel, I've disagreed with my friend Jim Zagel on the sentence and on the resentencing. So, I mean, I, I'm not the Republican. You know, the reason for you to hit. I want to get back to this issue. Let me finish. The reason they do it, when I say they, the FBI and the Justice Department, the reason they do it, it's high visibility. They know the media is going to be there. They're they're trying to just reinforce themselves as basically people that can knock on your door at six o'clock in the morning, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. But the, the common denominator, they're both famous. Okay. How I, many but, drug dealers? How many people who are charged with the with with by the FBI and the Justice Department? How many of them? The same thing happens to them, but the cameras aren't going to be there because nobody knows who they are. Rod Blagojevich and now Roger Stone. People know who they are, and so they want to reinforce what big guys they are by showing up with 28 cars, a helicopter, and Uzis, uh, or, or AK-47s, pointed at Roger Stone, who's uh, sleeping in his pajamas. And his Perhaps. deaf, his <laughs> deaf, deaf wife. wife. His yeah. wife, who is deaf. And she didn't answer the phone. Back shortly. <laughs> It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer 
are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Stay away. Bruce Dumont, uh, you want to put that story out of the air? No. I want to say to David, I want to ask to, David. Wait, wait, David is the lawyer for Mueller. Wait, 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 okay? I think we're going to put this discussion to bed for the night, and I'm with a prediction that this is not going to be over by next week. We won't be able to talk about it. Arguing it for a long time. But based and, on, and by the way, I want, I want on, Chris to be what, ready to eat the next based, piece of tape when Mueller's report what, concludes. Based on what you have asked for, sir. Thank you. Requested. You wanted to talk about Roger Stone's sex life. No, you wanted to talk about... <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to talk about Venezuela, right? Why yeah. is Venezuela... Here, answer this question. Why is Venezuela important to the people listening to this show this evening? Well, it's important because Venezuela, long term, long term, the Venezuela of Maduro represents a national security threat to the United States and to our allies in the hemisphere. Short term. In what way? In what way? Because Venezuela has, and this is public record, has become a, a conduit for folks from Iran and Russia and Hamas and a variety of terrorist organizations uh, because there is an enormous amount of money that is generated in Venezuela from the sale of its uh, petroleum and uh, uh, petrochemicals. Uh, And that money, very sadly, uh, as is so often the case in socialist regimes, such as those supported by my friendly Democrat friends over here, um, is going entirely to the upper reaches of the political structure and not to the folks in the neighborhoods who need it desperately but who are literally starving. Stop. I want to hear from the Democrats. Your response to just, Rebecca, based on what you've just heard right now, do you agree on why Venezuela is important to the people listening to this show? I guess... I don't know anything about the particulars of energy policy, so I'm not in a position to comment on that. What I would say is I think as a general principle that every American should be concerned about what happens in the countries around us, one of which is Venezuela. Obviously, the people there are in great danger and difficulty. So, yes, we should all be concerned about what's going on Dave, in Venezuela. Dave, what do you add to that? Well, what I would add to that is, um, you know, Chris likes to put positions in my mouth, um, uh, and one of them was that we support these socialist regimes. I, I have not right, supported I mean, Venezuela. I did not. Exactly. I, the socialist regime, I didn't support the Chavez regime. I don't support the Maduro regime. They're a bunch of thugs. They're crooks. Um, and I, I find what's happening in that country disgusting. Um, that said, uh, yeah, clearly Venezuela is – look, any, any of these petro-states right. um, it, are really important. That's why we invaded Kuwait. Um, you know, <laughs> Venezuela is really important. What's going on there is important. Um, I'm concerned about some of the tentative steps that the Trump administration has been taking and where that will lead, because I do not want to see military intervention in right. Venezuela. And, um, and that, is a, that, that, I think, is a legitimate concern that any American should have, is not wanting to see military intervention. But there are a lot of other things that can be done. And the other Definitely. remarkable thing is that when, when we came out in support of the National Assembly government, 
against the the Maduro government. Um, what was what was striking was the number of allies that came forward to support our position and stand. And I think that's significant. That's important. That shows that you know we you know we do have very strong allies across the across the world that and are they also have, supporters. And they have meaning. And many of them. They have, have Russia. They have China and they have Cuba. Right. The, the, the line Maduro. is being drawn there. You know, Iran. Yeah, and Iran. You, we have Russia, China, and Iran on one side, and then you've got the U.S. and many of our South American and uh, European allies, and we are all very consistent, which is interesting because um, you know we can talk about NATO a little bit, but we, you know, it, well, I, I think what it does is it it reinforces the strengths that we have with our allies in Europe, which is sort of in contra- contradiction to uh, the narrative out there that Trump, you know, Trump doesn't get along with our allies. In right. Fact, I mean, we, it's we, an he example. has said he wants to withdraw from NATO, which would be a, sig- a signal example of his not getting along but with then our the, allies. You know, the, the NATO secretary came out today and said that Trump has done some amazing things right. that have right. improved NATO. See, so, uh, you know, the NATO... What was that? Can you yeah, be no, more... The general secretary of NATO... Is right, that the general Trump has secretary kept the heat of NATO on other uh, on other yes. look, look, uh, European improved. countries to yeah. pay more, which began under Barack Obama, well, was, who was pushing hard to get them to pay more. It was another ineffectual Obama attempt at a policy, just like his. Back to you, back, Trump's back just you. like his attempt. Let, let, let's let's fo- let's continue to focus our attention since you raised the subject on Venezuela. Well, in Venezuela, Venezuela, does Venezuela represent a situation? Is if the current policy of the administration, yes. if it if it just keeps everything in place, is there a point where military action would be recommended or wise, in your opinion? We are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles from that point. The the whole approach, as Stephanie relates so far, has been diplomatic, hemispheric, to refer to Rebecca's point, and uh, and I think a a leadership role. I think that there, uh, what has happened here in the last few months is a gathering of consensus between the United States and its hemispheric allies on the one hand and its European allies on the other hand because Venezuela is extremely sensitive. I'm sorry, the, the, the region is sensitive to the significance of both Europe and the UN along with the regional um, relationship. Ten seconds. Uh, final word to you, Dave Lundy. Yes. <laughs> no, I, this is, sorry. The, are you no, agreeing yeah. with? No, I, 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 I agree that we should keep the diplomatic. Right. We should pressure. keep the diplomatic pressure. We're going to get into economic um, sanctions okay. and a long time before anybody talks about military. Yes. But it would be ridiculous to say, "Oh, well, today we're never going to use military." We're out of time. Thanks to all of our guests. Thanks also to Sam Greenberg and Fritz Goldman and, the, and Dan Dorfman for their assistance in the production of this program. Until next week, don't forget, Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont. Go to the Facebook page right now. Like us, join us, and we're going to send you some information on a daily basis. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago.
standing up for what's right, helping out when things go wrong, seeking the truth, and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt in its place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, the experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv.